we're kind of talking about names. Um, names are very important. We don't think of it as much as maybe they used to do in the old days, but nowadays, uh, I think we should really think about how they did it in the Bible times, and they would name people based on either something they did, some uh, aspect of themselves, maybe even a physical aspect, or something that they hoped they would do. Like, um, for instance, you've ever heard the story of, uh, of uh, Jacob? So Rebecca's having twin sons back in the Bible, Genesis something or other. Extra points to anyone who can tell me the chapter after the service. Appreciate that. But, so Genesis something or other, Rebecca is having twins. So she has Esau. So Esau comes out first. And Esau uh, was red, red, ruddy. And so Rebecca named him Esau, ruddy. That means red. Esau means red. And then Jacob came out, and he happened to be holding on to Esau's heel. Now, you've got to understand something. Back then, if you were born first, you got what was called the birthright, which, which meant when your parents died, you got twice as much stuff as anybody else down the line, any of your brothers or sisters. If you were born first, you really wanted that. That was a great thing. So Esau was born first. He had the birthright. But Jacob came out. He was kind of holding on to Esau's heel. And so his parents just kind of thought that was cute, right? They, oh, look at him. He's holding on to his heel as if he was pulling him back up into his mama and so he could come out first and get the birthright. You get that? All right. So she named him Jacob, which meant supplanter, deceiver, sneak. Now, how many of you know anything about Jacob? Raise your hand. Now, if you study his life, did he not live up to his name? He was always deceiving. He was always lying. He did supplant the birthright. He did take it from his older brother. I mean, he did all this stuff. And we think, well, Jacob, he's a really horrible person. But you've got to think in terms of what you call somebody their whole life. Don't you think that's going to have an effect on, on how they live, how they act, what they think about themselves? Names are very important. You call somebody a sneak his whole life, he's going to grow up more, more times than not to be a sneak. I mean, I've seen this in our own life with our own kid. Uh, we got three sons, Dylan, Dawson, and I got a daughter. Did I say three sons? <laughs> I have two sons and a beautiful, precious daughter. Uh, Dylan, my oldest. Dawson is my middle son. Now, Dawson, we call him Dawson, and we were very careful how we named our kids, and we packed it full of meaning we wanted to have. Dylan means faithful, Dakota means friend, that kind of stuff. But Dawson, we don't really call him Dawson very often because you know how you kind of develop nicknames for your kids based on what they do, how they act, or a certain physical attribute, you know? Well, Dawson, pardon me a sec, Dawson's got a cute butt. I mean, just, I mean, he walks into a room, it's like, bam, there it is. I mean, it's, and so we call him Cutie Booty. That's what we call him. And we've called him that forever. I mean, he comes walking in. We, hey, there's cutie booty. We just, we've been telling him that. It's been, what, a couple of years now. Well, now this poor kid is obsessed with his booty. I mean, I'm serious. He comes, he walks backwards into rooms, you know. When we go to say goodnight, he doesn't kiss you goodnight. He comes up and sticks it in your face. What's my name? What's my name? Yes, you are cutie booty. Go to bed now, Right? Because we've called him that over and over, he begins to think that way. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about today. We're talking about a guy in the scripture who had such an interesting name. And I really believe, even though the Bible isn't very explicit about it, that it really affected how he lived his life. 
So uh, in Mark chapter 10, if you've got your Bibles, let's go there real quick. Mark chapter 10. I'm going to start reading in verse 46. 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. So did you catch that there? They came to Jericho, and then Mark just kind of skips everything that happened, and then they left Jericho. All right? As they were leaving the city, a blind man, Bar Timaeus, that is, he's very careful to say what the name is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Hey, you guys just do me a favor. Would you mind just praying with me one second before I get going? God, I love you. Thank you for the privilege of of, uh, speaking to K2 this morning. It's such an honor. And uh, I just ask that you send your spirit, your presence, your power, your grace to be with me today as I speak. Let it be all of you and none of me. And Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for doing that. So this guy's name was Bar Timaeus, which Mark is careful to say, son of Timaeus. So I looked up Timaeus. You know what Timaeus means? Unclean. Now that is a really unfortunate name. Just real quick, if anybody's brave enough, we talked in meet and greet. You talked about maybe about some nicknames. Anybody want to shout out a nickname you were called, whether you loved it or hated it? Ace. That's a great name. What does that mean? I fly real well. I shoot real well. I play cards real well. Ace. Right? All right. What else? Arthur, I love you. That is an unfortunate name. Right? Art the, that's a drag. That is a drag, all right? But I can relate, all right? I can relate. Anybody else? How about a name that you love being called? Susie Wu, which means I assume you walk into the room, everybody goes, woo. Is that what it means? You have the woo factor. You, you surprise people. You're full of wonder, all right? What else? Come on. Newman. Newman. Newman as in from Seinfeld? Newman as in from Alfred All right, that's a drag. Oh, you liked it. Okay. All right. I guess it all depends on your perspective, right? I, I remember when I, was, uh, when I was in school, about 11 years old, for, some, for a reason I'll tell you. I've actually told you this nickname before for me that they called me in school. Now I'm going to tell you the story behind it, all right? They called me Puggy. Now, Puggy, it's not a name I like to be called. Don't you ever call me that, all right? But Puggy, for some reason, back then, all my buddies and all my enemies used to think that my nose was, looked pug like a pig's nose, you know, just 
And I look at it now, I look at pictures of myself, and I'm like, that wasn't even true. I'm like, I did have buck teeth out to here. I mean, I could eat corn through a picket fence. Why didn't they call me Bucky, you know? But for some reason, maybe because I couldn't do jack about my nose, but I was going to get braces in a year, maybe they called me, they, that's why they decided to call me Puggy. Now, you'd think that'd be a harmless little name, right? You're 11 years old, you're trying to, be, you're trying to fit in, you're trying to be popular. I was more like an art the person, right? I was not wildly popular, even though I'm a big stud rock star today, right? Back then... I was not wildly popular. I was one of these kids. Guys like John would shove me in a locker, you know, stuff like that. And so they called me Puggy. Well, if you're this kid and you're called Puggy, that's all they call me. If you're called Puggy every day of your life. Now, I'm 40 years old at this point, right? You would think that that's not that big a deal. It happened when you're 11, 12, 13 years old, 14 maybe. You know, to this day... And y'all don't go, you don't look at me like I'm Emmanuel Lewis when I tell you this, all right? But to this day, I find myself in the mirror sometimes without even thinking, just pushing my nostrils together <laughs> in the hopes that, and not even thinking about it. Back then, I used to do it actively to, tr- to try to put, close my nostrils. Now, names are important. Names can make you or break you. You know, it's like those of you who have parents in the room, raise your hand if you're a parent, all right? When your kids are growing up, you got boys, you call them tiger and champ and, and you're the man and, and, uh, and, and warrior and stuff like that. And girls you call princess, right? Oh, you're, so, you're pretty, Miss Pretty, little Miss Pretty, princess, you're my precious princess, stuff like that, right? Why do we do that? Because that's how we see them. That's how we see our kids. See, something about them makes us want to say that. And that's all my friends were doing in middle school. First part of high school, that's all they were doing. They saw something on me. They identified it. Maybe Art had a gas situation, right? (laughs) Or maybe it just rhymed with Art. Who knows? Maybe Ace actually did fly planes. Who knows why they did it? But what I want to tell tell you today is that why we do it is, is irrelevant. The fact that we do it, however, has a very, very big effect. It's very important what we call things. Jacob's uh, mother and dad called him a liar, a deceiver, a sneak his whole life. His whole life. He grew up. He was a liar. He was a sneak. He was a deceiver. You see that? It's important. It matters. So there's this guy, Bartimaeus. He's called Bartimaeus. Son of the unclean one. That name is a drag, baby. Son of the unclean one. So imagine this. I don't know if he was blind his whole life or if he became blind through some disease or something. But imagine you're called unclean your whole life. Sorry. Good for nothing. And then you happen to be blind. And back then, if you were blind or handicapped in any way, you had one future. Your own family didn't even have anything to do with you because if you were blind, you were considered to be cursed of God. Or if you had any kind of physical handicap at all, you were considered cursed of God. It's not true, but that's how they thought back then. So here's this guy. Feels like he's cursed. His name is unclean. And his job is to sit literally in the gutter. 
Because that's what you did if you were handicapped. You sat in the gutter and begged for stuff as people went by. Give me some food. Give me some change. Kind of like we see today. Now, can you imagine? I don't know how old the guy was, but let's say he'd made it to 20-something. Can you imagine what that did to his noggin? Can you imagine how that affected him? That guy's got to be the most hopeless guy in the world. He's got to be thinking, this is my life. I'm unclean. They call me unclean. I'm begging. Now, I don't know. I, I gave you a little example of where I sort of still walk beneath the weight of a name that was given me. I don't know what names are given you. Could have been a great name like Ace. Could have been Art the Fart, right? Could have been any number of things in between. But how has it affected you? Are you the person you are today because somebody put names on you? Because somebody called you something, whether it was true or not, that's what they called you. Now, Bartimaeus was in that condition. There's an interesting thing, though. He was different. Bartimaeus had something we call faith. And this is what I want you to remember today. If you forget everything else, remember this. Faith makes all the difference. Faith makes all the difference. But as I look at this story, let's look at it one more time. Verse 46. Then they, Jesus and his followers, came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. Why do you think that crowd was following Jesus as he left Jericho? Just shout it out. Bueller. What? He was doing stuff for them. Mark doesn't tell us what happened between Jesus went into Jericho and Jesus left Jericho. We just know he went in, he did some stuff, and he left. He went in with his disciples. He came out with his disciples and a large crowd. I bet he did pretty well in there. I bet he went in there and healed some people. He probably spoke some stuff. He probably said stuff in power. People were probably impressed with him. So they're following him out. Now, if you're going to follow somebody, are you a believer? I'd say so. I mean, I'm following him. I must believe. I must have some kind of belief, some kind of faith. How many of you know if you're a Christ follower in here at all, if there's ever been a moment in your life where you have given Christ your life and accepted his payment for all your mistakes, if there's ever been that moment, you are what we call a believer. You believe stuff. You believe he saved you. You believe you're going to be in heaven with him when you die one day. You believe that he loves you. You have faith. These people had faith. His disciples, they'd walked with him for nearly three years at this point. They believed. They'd seen him do all kinds of stuff. They'd seen him calm the seas. They'd seen him heal countless people. They'd seen him take five loaves and two fish and break it apart and feed 5,000 people, 5,000 men, plus women and children, more. They believed But if you read through Mark up to this point in chapter 10, you see those believers that followed Jesus, they had some serious issues, man. (laughs) They believed, but there's some areas you need to go back and read when you get a chance. They didn't believe. 
Is there a difference between faith and faith? Is there a difference between the faith that Jesus' followers had and this blind, good-for-nothing, unclean beggar on the side of the road? I think so. I think so. So let's see what that difference is. What made Bartimaeus' faith enable him to get what he needed from Jesus in the end? Look at that verse 47. When he, that is Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. This is the first part about that faith. Remember I said faith makes all the difference. The first part about that faith that set Bartimaeus apart from all those other dudes was this. He was bold. He was bold. His faith was bold. Now, as you you read it in your scripture, it says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then it says, he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. But you really got to dig into the language. When he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he's saying two things. Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the one. You're it. You're the son of God. When he calls him son of David, what he's actually saying is, you're the son of God. But when he says it to him, he says it in such an emphatic way. And when he says, have mercy on me, it's so emphatic that it's actually more like this. Now, I'm going to get all Baptist preacher on you for a second, so just get ready, all right? It's more like this. He wasn't sitting by the roadside going, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's more like this. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me right now. Relax, all right? If you dig into that language, it's actually the language of debt. If somebody owed you money and they were paying you back, they were said to have mercy on you. They owed you the money, but they were paying you back and we called that mercy. It's the language of debt and creditor. So really what this blind, good-for-nothing, son-of-the-unclean one, Bartimaeus, was actually saying was, Jesus, Messiah, come here and do your job right now. I'm probably going to yell one more time and then I'll let it go, okay? Now let me just ask you something. Have you ever in your life been that bold with God? In this faith that you and I experience together. Maybe some of you are just checking it out for the first time. Don't leave because I yelled. I don't always do it, all right? Have you ever been that? Do you realize that God actually wants us to be bold like that? Do you realize that there's something about that boldness that makes that faith really powerful? I mean, how impertinent, how rude do you have to be To talk to God as if he owed you something. Now look at this. Verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And I mean now. Now at one point, 
Uh, a few years ago, I was in front of a group of people like this, and I was teaching this very passage in a different context. But I started talking about how Bartimaeus was bold, and he, and he shouted, he, Son of David, have mercy on me right now. Jesus, Son of David. Have... And I yelled. This was like a, a, a Pentecostal church, so you could yell, right? And I was just yelling and yelling. All of a sudden, in the middle of the service, this guy stands up. Middle of the service, middle of my, my teaching. He stands up. Shouts out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me right now. I'm like 20-something. I don't know nothing about nothing. I didn't. I'm, so I couldn't think of anything to do, but I just shouted back, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me right now. And I'm smiling. I thought the guy was joking. He says it again. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me right now. So I shout it back. He shouts it again. So I took a step toward him and I shout it back. See, what I actually wanted this guy to do was to sit down so I could go ahead and go on with my deal. I mean, what if that happened here at K2? I mean, we're down to the second at K2. Something like that happens. I'm, where's Dave Nelson? <laughs> You're going to have to bail a brother out, right? What I wanted him to do was to sit down. I was like one of these people. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. I was one of those people. That was me. You know, I didn't realize that till about Wednesday of this week. Studying for this. You know what that guy did? Sat back down in his seat, put his head in his hands, started sobbing. His body was just shaking. Me, I don't know nothing about nothing. I just went on with my teaching. Are there people around us crying out like that? Are there people in your, and even in your life and in my life, even in our sphere of influence, that are crying out like that? That are that bold? That are that desperate? You see how desperate you have to be. There's something about that desperation that brings that boldness. That brings that faith that makes stuff happen. Remember I said, faith makes all the difference. I'm not that way. I'm just not that way. I know because I sing and stuff, maybe some of you have a different opinion of me, but I'm actually very, very introverted, painfully so. I don't want to, you know, I don't, I'm scared of people. I'm scared of you guys, right? But you know, if you're really desperate for something, You'll be bold. I know uh, I have a friend here, and I'm going to try not to say his name so I don't embarrass him. He's far too fine a person to want me to elevate him. But he has a cabin, and it's a beautiful place, and it's not too far from here. It's just above Park City, and he has graciously allowed many of us on staff to go there and kind of rejuvenate. So, you know, I went there for a couple of days, and I went to maybe fast a day and pray and seek God. And, and you know, I just got some things that I'm really seeking God about. And, and so, I mean, this cabin is just you walk in like angels sing like oh it's amazing it's posh everything is nice he works on it really hard so everything is really nice like the nicest cabin i've ever walked in right and i had in my mind i'm gonna fast for one day and then i'm gonna actually i'm gonna get up early in the morning i'm gonna go fishing if you know me you know i love to fish for trout and you know what i really want god is i really want to put a trout on his grill 
and I want to eat. I want that to be my dinner. I want, to, that, I want to break my fast with a trout I catch and cook it and cl- or clean it and then cook it, right? Please clean it first, right? That's what I want to do, and it's in my mind, and I got it in my head, and I got up in the morning, and I put all my gear on, and I went, and I got skunked like I have all season long. Haven't caught a fish one all season on my fly rod, not a single fish. Now, you got to understand, I'm there to seek God, right? I mean, I would think he's God of the universe. He calms the seas. He spoke fish into fishdom. How about you speak a fish onto my fly so I can have a meal tonight, please? So, I mean, you don't understand. If you've been skunked all season, and I've been a lot this year, if you've been skunked all season, I'm out there, I'm praying to God so hard. Second hour passes, oh, Lord Jesus. Finally, I'm just commanding them myself. I command you, fish, in the name of the Lord Jesus, jump on my line. Sorry, I yelled again. I promised I wouldn't. Right? And I'm just out there, just nothing, 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 nothing. I'm getting angry. And to be honest with you, this sounds really immature, and I need you guys to give me grace. I was mad at God because he did not give me a fish. After all, I'm there to seek him. I'm doing, I'm doing good. I'm doing the work. I'm baby-stepping, right? Hook a brother up. You can't speak a fish on mine. Nothing, 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 nothing. I'm mad. I'm mad. I'm walking away. I hooked my, my fly. cost me $1.50 on a tree. Walking away just trying not to cuss, just and failing some, just and mad at God, angry. And then I came across these two older gentlemen, maybe 85, maybe pushing 90, right? Two guys, and they're out there fishing, and, and they're just, you know, kicking back. And I said, did you catch anything? Oh, yeah, they're all little. They're all little? Yeah. I go, how many did you catch? Oh, just four. Now, you understand, I'm from Georgia. You catch four fish in a day, you're like the state champ, all right? You're like, it's huge, right? Oh, just four, and they're all little. I said, let me see. Pulls up a stringer. The fish are this big. I'm like, I've never caught a trout that big in my life, old man, right? How dare you say those are little? I'm mad. Remember, I'm angry, right? So I'm just sitting there talking to them. They go, yeah, we don't even like the taste of them. Now, you got to understand, I'm introverted. I told you, I'm a painful introvert. I don't want to ask anybody for anything. But I wanted a trout to eat for dinner. And he said, when he said he didn't like them, I figured I got the, the high sign, you know. So I said, hey, if you don't like them, remember who your buddy is. Hook them up. Hook me up. He goes, all right. Gave me all four of them. On the stringer. So here I am, I got their, their bag, their stringer, I'm walking away with their trout. And you're going to think I'm weird, just please just bear with me, all right? I felt like God spoke to me in that very moment. I went there to seek God, I found him in that one moment. He said, you always want to work, don't you? Probably wasn't like a hick like that, but it was like, you know, you always want to work. You always want to work. And that brings an interesting point up. Bartimaeus, go ahead and put the verse up. I'll read it from here if you would. 
Bartimaeus is shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, and that actually means Jesus stood still. Who's calling me? And he said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Verse 50 is key. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. I got a couple of homeless friends. I know many of you do too. Are their possessions important to them? I mean, they hold on to those things. They will flat fight to the death. This guy's got one thing. That's about right. He probably had one thing. His cloak was probably it. But when he had a chance, remember, he's got great faith. When he had a chance to come to Jesus... Threw it aside. It actually means he got up and violently went ah, and did the best he could to run as a blind man to Jesus. So I'm walking away. I'm carrying these guys' trouts, and I get this this impression from God. You always want to work, and you know what? That's true. I want to work to make God happy. Can't do it. I'm self-deceived if I think I could, but I want to. I want to. I want to come to Jesus and I want to have something in my hand. Jesus, I need you. I admit that I need you and I admit that I need something from you, whatever that may be in whatever area of life. But when I come to you, Jesus, I want to have something in my hand to trade. To say, you know, Jesus, I'm a pretty good guy. Can you give? Jesus, I've been to church my whole life. Can you give? Jesus, I, 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 I sing for you sometimes. Can you give? Or even sometimes that gets down to, to gifts and stuff. Jesus, I'm a pretty good singer. Can you give? Now, is anyone here relating to this? Don't raise your hand. Or is it more subtle? If I were to ask any of you, don't answer out loud. How would you grade your Christianity on a scale of 1 to 100? What kind of Christian are you? Are you a 50? Kind of in between, kind of straddling the fence. Are you a 75, you know? I do, I do okay. Raise my kids pretty good, get them to church most of the time, and, you know, I tithe. And I, would you consider yourself in the high 90s, you know? I do really good. God is my whole life. I think about him all the time. I pray to him all the time. I fast. I do stuff. Do you know that when it comes to getting things from Jesus, none of that has anything to do with anything? Do you know that if I'm a high 90s Christian, and I'm not, but if I was, and I needed something from God, Heal me on the inside here. I'm hurting. Jesus, fix this in here, this brokenheartedness. Do you know that the fact that I'm a high 90s Christian has jack to do with it? It doesn't move him at all. Not at all. Not the slightest little bit. We can no more work for any good thing from God than we can work to get saved in the first place. That is the most difficult thing to accept 
in the world. I want to catch the trout, clean it myself, put it on the grill. I want to do it rather than just have somebody give it to me. Rather than just have God come through and just just hand you something. You know what that is actually? And I don't want to offend anyone in here, but you know what that is? Pride. Pride. That's all it is. Dirty, filthy, nasty, soul-crushing pride. Bartimaeus wasn't that way. He had absolutely no pride when you're desperate enough and you want something bad enough you got nothing. You got to come to Jesus with nothing. And he does. Throws his very own singular possession aside, comes to Jesus, and he says, Have mercy on me. And Jesus says, Now, this is an interesting question. What do you want me to do? Now, remember, we're talking about faith, something that separated Bartimaeus' faith from all these other people. Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do? I don't, that's a dumb question, isn't it? The guy is blind. What do you think he wants? But Jesus asks him, point blank, what do you want? And notice that Bartimaeus did not say, you know, could I have a new new coat? I threw that one down over there. Could you make my hearing a little more heightened to make up for my blindness? No, he says, Lord, I want to see. I want to see. What am I trying to tell you? The faith that enables us to get anything from Jesus is first of all bold. You got to come to him like you mean business and nothing's going to stop you. Nothing of what anybody else thinks not the person to your right or left, not your own wife or husband or your children or your best friend. You got to come to him boldly. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm getting what I need from Jesus right now. You got to come to him bold. You got to come to him with nothing in your hands. I got nothing. I got nothing to offer you. I'm a pretty good singer, but you got angels surrounding you 24-7, any one of which with the flu can outsing me. So I got nothing. I'm an okay speaker, but you're Jesus. No better speaker. I'm not incredibly overweight, a little. No, nothing. I got nothing to bring you. I'm blind and pitiful, beggar in the gutter. Even if I consider myself to be in the high 90s, I know I'm blind and pitiful. And you got to come to him if you want that kind of faith, that kind of faith that gets the job done, you got to come to him and tell him what you really want. What do you really want? How many times have we prayed and it isn't what we really want? How many students or ex-students in here prayed for a prom date at one time or another? Did you really want a prom date? I don't think so. I think you wanted to feel accepted. How many of you have prayed for uh, a friend because you're lonely? 
Do you really want a friend or do you really just want to feel love like the rest of us? Do you really just want somebody in your life to just accept you as how you are? How many uh, professionals in here, male and female, have prayed so hard for that promotion or that sales call or that increase? Are you really wanting that or are you really wanting to just feel like when you die, you made a mark? You were significant for the short little time that you were here. Have you ever really been that honest with God? Have you been that bold? Have you been that helpless? I got nothing. So I walked away. I got the trout, right? <clears throat> Put it on the grill in tin foil so that the guy here doesn't think I defiled his grill, right? But I had to clean it first. I had to clean it first. Well, it's not like we don't have anything to do. We're helpless. We don't bring anything to the party, but we have the honor of actually doing stuff to contribute to what God is doing in the earth. And I, I can't, the, the house is all nice and everything. I don't want to defile a sink or anything like that. So I'm, I look out and he's got this garden hose, right? On one of those rollers. It's like a hundred thousand foot garden hose. And I'm like, I wonder how far this thing will go. So I grab it and got the trout in one hand and the hose in the other. And I'm running just as far as I can to see how, what kind of length I got. And I'm on a rock. And I'm down on the rock and I'm gutting these trout. Sorry, ladies. I'm just... And I'm working and I'm sweating. There's stuff to do. And God, he speaks to me again. You always want to work. Yeah, I do. I do. That's me. Comes to me again. Do you want to work? Or do you want to eat? What do you really want? Lay it on me, man. Did you really want to catch that trout? Have the joy of cleaning, flinging fish guts everywhere, worrying about your friend? Or did you really just want to eat? And that's the question I want to put to you today as the band comes up. You have an opportunity this morning, right now. You have an opportunity to taste that faith. The kind of faith that changed Bartimaeus forever. You know what Jesus said? When he healed him, he could have put his hands on him. He could have put mud in his eyes like he did the other blind guy. He could have done some kind of razzmatazz. Squidoo! And see! He could have done any number of things, but you know what he did? He said, Your faith has made you well. Jesus, we know Jesus did it, but he didn't even take credit for it. He just went, Your faith! The kind of faith that admits you just want to eat. That admits you got nothing. That admits only Jesus, and I mean only Him, can do the job. 
We're about to enter into a time of worship. You have an opportunity to exercise that faith right now. Now you can choose to not be bold. You can choose to let the moment pass on by. Bartimaeus could have got passed by. You could be the next. Or you can choose to come to Jesus today, in this moment, in the next 10 minutes or so. Come boldly, not caring what anybody else thinks. I don't care. Come to Him, bringing nothing, just your marginal voices. Come to Him, telling Him, what do you really want today? Now's your time. Right now's your chance.